afternoon. You're listening to Isotopica uh, with me, Simon Tishko, here on Resonance 104.4 FM on your London dial. Today, I'm going to be speaking with Tim Etchells, Sheffield-based artist, who's also the creative director, artistic director, of Forced Entertainment. Forced Entertainment are a theatre company founded in 1984. And he has directed, written, and occasionally performed in dozens of critically acclaimed performance works that have been shown at major festivals and theatres around the world. Forced Entertainment has had a huge impact on the development of a uniquely British style of avant-garde performance and their work is now included as part of the theatrical canon to students. Approaching having a conversation today, I'm absolutely not a journalist. Mm. 
Um, and as you know, and so I'm just coming to a large extent as a really enthusiast of forced entertainment. And we're in Toynbee Hall, which was second to last time I saw forced entertainment was here. And that was, I remember it in terms, it was the beginning of a relationship with a German woman called Nicole, and that was our first date. <laughs> and so taking someone on the first date to a forced entertainment production is a gamble, to say the least, and was interesting because she survived it and survived it with a question mark. But I think that question mark actually went through to the end of the relationship that when she walked out of the relationship, she said it was just after actually the death of my nephew under bizarre circumstances and very other things. And she said, Simon, everything in your life, your friends, your family, you, your interests are so extreme. <laughs> so there's a memory there. So curiously, entertainment, the word entertainment and forced entertainment used together. Do you want to say something about that? Is that, so, is that a question that's been asked so many times? I mean, it, it's strange because, of course, we didn't... I don't think we knew when we started the company that, that, this, that this name would be a kind of mini-manifesto, which I think, you know, f at least on some projects, a great number of projects in a way, that there's always been this interest in um, the sort of, uh, I suppose, that tension between the idea of something that's entertaining and convivial and enjoyable, which, you know, I'm not against those things. Um, and on the other hand, this sort of sense of, of a structure or a machinery or, a, you know, a problematic sort of uh, slightly tyrannous uh, relationship that the, that the form uh, of performance or, or theatre has. Um, and so it's sort of that, that tension, I think, is really important for us, that it, I think all of the shows, in their own ways, move between a desire to, to, to play and to, um, to, to entertain and to, yeah. to bring people together in a certain way, mm. and also this contradictory desire to sort of cause a problem about it and to cause mm. a problem about the circumstances under which you are gathered and so on. Um, and because we didn't know that when we chose the name, I think we knew there was a tension in it, but I don't think we knew that it would be quite so productive over quite such a long time as, as, as it was. that, but it's some time ago. Uh, well, we started in 84, so uh -huh. I think we're now at something like 27 years. Ow! Uh, which, uh, <laughs> I, I did an interview with um, <clears throat> an Australian journalist when, when we were 20, um, and I said, oh, yeah, we're coming up to uh, the 20th birthday of the company. And this journalist over the phone or whatever said, oh, really? How embarrassing. <laughs> Which I, I loved. Um, so, yeah, 27 uh, years. And, um, you know, in that time, it's been the same core group of people. Yeah. Um, you know, five performers and me. We've sort of lost a couple of people quite early on, um, mm -hmm. sort of. 85, 86 kind of time. Um, so just after we'd started, really. But since then, the core group has been sort of stable and yeah. we've grown a sort of family of uh, other people that we work with fairly frequently on different projects. 
There's so many, I mean, just describing it like that was quite remarkable in that, especially going back to the notion of forced entertainment as being this very serendipitous name of a mini manifesto, yeah. because there's a huge dynamic tension in what you do. In every production I've seen you do, this is really powerful for people that don't know forced entertainment or have never seen. It's an experience beyond, I always find seeing one in production. So to keep a core group of people together for 27 years with that dynamic going on. Mm. I think that's really interesting. I mean, wh why, what never kind of ceases to amaze me is that we get quite a lot of, you know, kind of students and so on trying to think about and write about um, collaboration. And um, they come with quite naive questions, I think, and quite often uh, quite quite naive ideas about what collaboration might be mm. and I think the, the tendency is to sort of frame it in terms of um, uh, things like uh, democracy and trust and um, uh, some slightly kind of utopian um, idea that in a sense to have lasted that long it, it, it must be somehow uh, a sort of benign um, thing whereas in fact I mean I think there is a lot of you know love and trust and care in that set of relationships between mm. us but there's also sort of huge um, problems and long long running arguments and long long running kind of positions that people take and counter take and, mm. and so on and um, it's it's a sort of of course it's a hugely kind of demanding and difficult thing to work with other people over an extended period like that. There's nothing, I mean, and I say this like full of, uh, you know, admiration from my colleagues, but I mean, there's there's nothing kind of utopian or, or, no. or sort of calm about that, even even when actually it's a, you know, it's a fairly steady, fairly calm group of people we're not prone to yelling at each other mm -hmm. but but this still over 27 years it's a sort of weird it's just a very weird thing to spend your life entangled with other lives it's in a lifetime, lifetime. It's a lifetime. Yeah, yeah yeah exactly and longer than most relationships last exactly i mean you know it's it's it it, it gets to a point where the, where the only sort of well i suppose where the relevant points of comparison are family things, relationship things, maybe some bands you can point at. And maybe, you know, maybe if, if you look outside of kind of domestic stuff and, and outside of the arts, probably there are like weird, you know, there'd be business partnerships, wouldn't there? Or working relationships, you yeah, know, where you, where you go to work. And yeah, work where you work with the same, the same yeah. people in an office or in, mm -hmm. a, in a factory over a very long time. I mean, I, I know that, um, I know people who've done that. But it, nonetheless, I suppose the, the shared responsibility that the six of us essentially have for figuring out the kind of artistic direction and programme and you know, figuring out what the hell you're going to do next, that, that whole thing, mm. it's a pretty weird sort of set of um, ongoing uh, shared stresses and strains joys involved in that yeah i'm assuming that it was there was never that intention when you started but i mean you can't have an intention no to work for 27 no years, i mean that's the thing I, th I think we we 
we didn't have that intention and even now I, I sort of feel like I think the way we understand it is that we, we're constantly signing up for you know well there's the next one and and then the next one and then the next one and it, it, it sort of uh, it just rolls out like that really without without a plan we're quite bad at planning I think, anyway Mm. Um, but it does seem like we're just kind of rolling from one thing to another to another. Nice. That's so improved. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, that's also a weird tension because for all sorts of reasons, you, of course, pretty well have to make plans. I mean, at least as far as funding bodies and co-producing partners and mm -hmm. all of that go, you're, you're sort of more or less obliged to describe in advance what you're going to do mm -hmm. next year and the year after and the year after that and um, you know, I think we're, we're good for the next 12 months I yeah. usually feel faintly confident that I can say what the next thing will be and what it might taste mm -hmm. like but um, sort of two years or three years hence I always feel you know, some level you're involved in a kind of fiction making activity mm. already you know yeah, sort of, of giving titles to things that don't exist and so, it's beautiful you know, yeah in the future people will all live in one enormous crowded city and it will cover the whole earth all of the oceans all of the mountains all of the desert all of the forest all of the landmass will just be one crowded gigantic city or in the future people will develop superpowers that are based on cartoon characters so people will be able to fly or lift tons of concrete, or see through walls. Or in the future, people will become telepathic and they'll be able to understand one another instantly. Or in the future, you'll be able to get a kind of wallpaper that changes colour according to your emotions. Or in the future, you'll be able to go on holiday in space. Or in the future, you'll be able to talk to your dog using a kind of computer software programme. Or, in the future, people will be able to shrink themselves right down, really, really small, and set off on an exploration of the atom. Or, in the future, things will be, well, pretty much like this. Pretty much the same as they are now. Describe that I'm quite envious of that process because I can feel the way you sort of tumbling, you're describing tumbling, and I think mm. that is the way the momentum works. And I yeah. find myself, I have to, because it's just me, I work with me. Yeah. So I have to build the momentum, everything, and then once something takes off, you know, the Arts Council approve or someone shows an interest, yeah. and things tumble forward. Yeah. But to create that momentum when you've got a group of people, I'm assuming there's someone to take up the slack when someone else isn't. I mean, I've just, as I say, I've just taken to my bed this weekend and yeah. like Royal Jubilee and everything else. I just <laughs> had to... I, I, I didn't even have the energy to leave the country. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yes, I was. I wasn't unhappy to be away. I must say. Um, yeah. Well, it, it, it has its um, it has its advantages and its pleasures. The, the sort of group thing and the momentum that you get from that. Mm. Um, I think we all, in the last, at least the last ten years and possibly even longer, also all seek out quite actively other places to be. I think there's a kind of balancing act. Do um, you mean other places to well, be? Well, just, I mean, you know, literally either that, that people are busy with other kinds of work, um, other kinds of projects, that's certainly true for me mm-hmm. and for some of the other ones. Or, you know, in the case of somebody like Robin, Robin moved to Berlin probably, I don't know, 10 years ago. And um, so there's a kind of escape valve there. I mean, there's the sort of intensity of here we are in the rehearsal room again and it's 24 hours a day, just the same old bloody questions that yeah, yeah, yeah. we've been banging our heads against for, for donkey's years. Um, but there's a, there's a chance to escape that or, you know, Kathy's working on sort of fiction at the moment, Terry's busy with kind of teaching projects, or people just have relationships and family stuff that goes on outside of that. Yeah, it sounds hugely healthy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you it's just kind of need, need to find some yeah. way of not being in that really, because it's so... It's so weird and so much that to have been tangled together over such a long period of time. Mm. I've noticed from this and noticed and something that springs to mind when I've enthused about forced entertainment, thinking performances you did years and years back in the ICA. That's when I first saw mm. you. And um, I remember your theatrical use of Hind Spaghetti. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. With a tree, and not yeah. a tree there. And and the power, you know, using this word forced, because any theatre production, film production, has an event where it picks up the audiences and takes the audience on a journey or whatever. Yeah. And I remember when the Heinz Spaghetti was in play, that you just had the ICA. It's one of those moments where I was totally in your power with laughter. The whole mm-hmm. audience, we were laughing, we were laughing. It was loud and there. And then it was like this bang marked by the Heinz spaghetti, can of Heinz spaghetti. And there's almost tears in my face. Like, yeah. Powerful, powerful. Yeah. And yet at the same time, you critique that by having a man in a tree costume at the back doing the same trick again. Yeah. Is that yeah. right? Yeah, later on. Yeah, yeah. Show, yeah. So there's a, there's a trick <clears throat> critiquing it. So, yeah. And then I thought, oh my God, that was deconstruction, wasn't it? <laughs> Perhaps. Is it, yeah. is it kind of that thought out? I mean, are you thinking we're deconstructing the process? Is this a silly question? But that, I'm, I'm almost asking as a punter here, because that was very educational for me in terms of this. I think that, the, that what it is is that we... I mean, one is that I think I'm very much in love with things that are um, funny and then not funny at all, and then funny and then not funny at all, mm-hmm. and then funny and then really not funny. Yeah. Like this kind of flickering around, like yeah. in a sense that you don't know where to put this thing. There's a kind of really deep level of kind of unresolvedness in that that I really kind of want, I think, out of art that, that I, in a way, don't quite know how to orientate myself in relation to this object or this event that it that it sort of occupies simultaneously um you know different positions especially around funny and not funny i find that really yeah kind of exciting um and then i think the other thing is that we have this probably a, a tendency to want to 
um, you know, partly I suppose it's like uh, you want to ruin and ridicule a language before you're caught taking it seriously. Mm. Um, and having taken it seriously, you want also then to sort of puncture and ridicule it again so that somehow you're sort of about kind of working things through that, that we, I think we would generally <clears throat> tend not to cut immediately to the, um, the serious thing that you want to do because <clears throat> I think as an audience member, my tendency will be to immediately recoil and, yeah. uh, and leave. So there's, there's a tendency to sort of um, to fool around or to, to hide what you're doing in, in a lot of noise and confusion. And then in a way to get to something that matters, mm-hmm. to, to, to find a place where something kind of cuts or, 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 or sings in a particular way. And then to kind of yeah, to, to, to explode it or to question it afterwards. So you, you're not, it's just that sort of territory of uncertainty, I think, that's mm. really interesting to me. A series of suicides are presented. Some ingenious, others less so. A kid puts a plastic bag over its head and suffocates. An old bloke alone in his room makes himself die just by thinking about it. A woman takes 200 paracetamol. A man takes 500 aspirin. A small child takes 600 junior dyspirin. A man ties a shotgun to a chair and fixes some rope to its trigger. The rope goes around the door handle and up to a pulley in the ceiling and from there to a second chair on which the man sits facing the door. When his son comes home he catches a brief glimpse of his father before the action of opening the door pulls the rope causing the gun to fire. I think that's that's fits with my understanding of what good art is. That it should always ask questions and not answer questions. There's questions answered, but leave it open. That's yeah. Layer upon layer of interpretation. Yeah. I and it, so. it, it is not question mark. It's just didactic and boring. Yeah. I, I think for me that's true, and and I I very much like this sense that you you sort of open something that stays that in a way can't be wrapped up neatly again. Mm. That the, the even as you, I mean, over an hour and a half or whatever, I think when we're making performances, there's always an attempt, of course, to make a, a kind of journey or to make a, a kind of argument or a, a dramaturgy. I mean, you're making a shape, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's always really important to us that that shape is um, a kind of complex one and that, that, it, that in its ending it's also sort of still continuing to to fold out in in, in different directions mm. so that you don't know the end I mean you know you don't want to go see something where at the end you sort of feel like okay right well that was that then you know yeah. it's much more this feeling of like 
oh, okay, like it's the problems continue if you like. Yeah, that, that's that's really important. Is um, I've taken is an artist. I've taken things from your productions. Oh my God, that works so well. Slow down Hawaiian music. Yeah, I still use that. Yeah, I've used that in a number of things, and that's it's. I think that was in the. What's the setting for that? It was like it's a bar. It was in club. Yeah, it was a kind of it was a piece called Pleasure. Pleasure, yeah. Which had this very sort of late night, sort of underwater feeling, which came a lot from this slowed down mm. music. Uh -huh. we, we had a, a record player that we used in a number of sort of pieces, and at a certain point we started playing the music on that at sixteen RPM, and just. In a way, that was the clue. I mean, some projects really come from one single clue, uh -huh. and that project was definitely hearing the couple of LPs or records that we had at that time slowed down, and you immediately kind of felt like, oh, we've just stepped into a really weird world here. And I found it very, that project particularly was very interesting to me because hearing this slowed down music and seeing what it did to the performers in terms of how they communicated with each other and with me really was like you were suddenly at sort of four or five in the morning mm -hmm. in, in some sort of basement bar yeah below a basement bar and um something completely compelling and completely sort of awful actually like i was really watching those early rehearsals with that and thinking like you know, like really, where the hell have I arrived? You know, this is such a strange place. Yeah. Um, and yeah, all, all in a way, all comes from that that thing of slowing that music down. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what's sort of interesting to me about the process that we have is that it's often about um, uh, experimenting and just playing with materials rather than having a kind of thematic that we think we're exploring or a, mm -hmm. a set of content that we think we're exploring. Okay. I mean, much more likely is that we have, because somebody was fooling around, they put the music on slow and that did something in the room and from that a project comes. Beautiful. Much more that than mm -hmm. us sitting around saying, hmm, what should we make a project about? Maybe we could discuss this, that and the other doesn't really happen like that for us I think it's much more this kind of in a sense quite tactile and quite um, uh, materials driven you know, could be a costume could be a bit of music could be a fragment of text mm. could be a place in the space about you know where you're standing in relation to the public what your relation to them is they're sort of what's what I like about those things is that they're tangible yeah because, you know, when people say, oh, my new performance is about you know, the collapse of the Eurozone or something, you kind of think, yeah, Sorry. great, but, like, what, <laughs> what is that, you know? Yeah. Like, whereas I'm more like, say, our new performance, Robin's wearing this funny yeah. mask, or Robin's got Heinz uh, spaghetti clutched to his belly, mm -hmm. and it looks kind of like blood, but it's also really an intestines, but it's, it's sort of, it's really stupid and really quite horrible mm. at the same time. And there's something hugely kind of compelling about that. Yeah. And that, as a starting point, is much more sort of vivid to me than, than uh, 
the demise of the eurozone which I mean I'm interested in that but I just I don't yeah, know it's in, not a thing I understand yeah. I understand and, and powerfully when you did the pitch shifting of all the dialogue yes. in what was the last one the thrill of it all the thrill yeah. of it all I mean that yeah. was that was just a beautiful motif it went all the way through and it obviously suggested so much yes it's so powerful yeah I mean that was the same that was like we were working on another project we started to use this sort of voice distortion mm. we realised that we were childishly drawn to lowering the men's voices to this sort of ridiculous masculine <laughs> grumble and raising the women's voices to this sort of cartoon shrillness mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and in that you kind of have the project basically yeah. and it's it's a it's one it's two settings on the on the on the machine and you're just like yeah we need to just follow that that's yeah. that's where all of this will be and of course then you you realize within you know very quickly with that one of course, it's about gender stereotypes, and then there are things about what what the men should talk about when they're speaking like that, and how they should be physically, and how the women should be, and, mm -hmm. and an awful lot then starts to arise from those very sort of tangible, physical, mm -hmm. you know, tangible material clues. Really, it's it's it goes once again back to forced entertainment. This whole thing because going with the nightclub at four o'clock in the morning, the heaviness of that, and uh, initially the woman with the pitch voice, right, yeah. up, sounds really playful, but the yeah. darkness that's there yeah. is the flip side of entertainment. Yeah. It's that working with it and expressing it in, what's his name? Umberto Eco, one of his quotes, I remember trying to use it in an essay once, and someone said, well, what is postmodernism, this idea, what, you know, how would you describe it really quickly? And he said, it's like a, a man trying to say to a woman, I love you dearly, but he can't say I love you dearly, because Barbara Cartland has used it and utterly aborted that notion. So yeah. he says, as Barbara Cartland would say, I love you dearly, yeah. thereby yeah. kind of accepting the absurdity, <clears throat> using it, using it, he says, kind of postmodern. So it reflects round and round and round, and this entertainment and death death is a theme i mean we're mm. sitting here in franco b studio and there's a skull over there it's not an uncommon theme within artwork of any time life and death life and death what else are we going to talk about but mm. your stuff often points towards that i remember the one here at the toynbee studios where they're the fortune tellers just doing the fortune -tellers thing so completely we're all in a sense of innocence and we're here we're accepting as the audience and then, you know, I can see a tall, dark stranger, etc., etc. Yeah. and then lung cancer. Yeah. Boom! Explosive. Yeah. Yeah. It's dark, dark, dark. Yeah. I mean, I, I, think, <laughs> I think one of the reasons that we're always going back to that, I mean, apart from uh, <laughs> the, the obvious uh, morbidity and, yeah, uh, yeah. and uh, you know, the importance of that as a thing, it, it's also because it's a, it, this rather amazing limit of what theatre and performance can can do mm. um, in that I mean a acting uh, uh, is a fairly sort of uh, absurd thing anyway because it's it's about somehow as it were representing or being or, or invoking sort of other people or other states of being and that's there's something kind of fairly silly and uh, trivial about that as a, as a thing mm -hmm. doesn't work um, and then the real edge of that like where you are a, a living person pretending to be a dead one or a, a living person pretending to be 
an animal or a tree or these kinds of like really preposterous mm -hmm. um, and totally implausible uh, uh, pieces of representation. I think there's a real pull to those because they are they're the edge of what's you know the ludicrousness that theatre is, for example. Um, but that's also where a lot of the power is. You know that, that you that you do step into that space where clutching the spaghetti to your stomach, you're, you're pretending to die, or wearing the sort of backwards balaclava and you know your your black turtleneck jumper with a skeleton black tracksuit trousers with a skeleton costume painted on it you know that 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 that, that you that you're playing dead in these very sort of silly ways or being at the trees in showtime uh, which are sort of cardboard tubes with two eye holes and yeah. some sort of vaguely branch like things sticking up at the top um nobody's ever going to believe that you're dead on the stage nor that you're a tree or a dog but it the sort of absurdity of stepping into that I think is what's very mm. attractive to us you yeah know? it's uh it's the edges of the game really that's a nice phrase edge of the game yeah I think I think a lot of our work is sort of concerned with that in terms of what what's possible inside theatre really or inside performance I've been wondering if there's a difference between hope and optimism. You know, if there is one. No idea. It's getting colder now. I think it might snow. I feel like either I'm an optimist, but I don't have any hope, or I have hope but I can't really be considered an optimist. Let's get some sleep. In the last 12 hours, we lost our place to live, got shot, lost all our possessions, fell into some subterranean tunnel system, got chased by maniacs, locked up in refrigerated transport, bitten by giant insects, and terrorized by ghosts, demonic children, and jovial lunatics. We've been kidnapped run over by dangerous drivers, chased by dogs and other wildlife, plagued by nuisance phone calls, stabbed, robbed, left to die in the wilderness, bombed, poisoned, frightened by ominous predictions, witness to terrible crimes, spied on as we're sleeping, bathed in shit, don't worry, things will be better in the morning. Are you sure? Not really, but we somehow have to believe. In situations of danger, only hope can keep people alive. And you believe that? I read it somewhere. A fortune cookie, maybe. You believe in that? Not really. Let's get some sleep.
skeletons uh, painted on. Is that the new production? It's an old one. I mean, it's a few, it's a couple of old pieces use this skeleton costume that, in fact, I think came from, it comes from my childhood. It comes from uh, school, pantomime, production of something or other. Basically, you know, black tracksuit bottoms and black jumpers and balaclavas and painted skeletons and UV light. And um, it sounds very creative for a school production. Oh, yeah. I think I, and you I, were in that? I got all my best ideas from uh, uh, from school pantomimes. Formative stuff. Yeah, definitely. That language, that, you know, it's not the only language that flows into our work, but the sort of, the, the, the sort of school pantomime slash homemade costumes slash amateur dramatics kind of That's nice. thing. It's definitely a, mm. a, one strand of sort of visual stuff that really flows into what we do, I think. Also for that kind of really stupid simplicity that, you know, it's like no budget, you know, you just paint a face on this or cut two eye holes in this bag and it's, it's a mask. Mm. The, the, the stupidity of that, I think, is really totally fascinating. I suppose with the audiences that you've got and that you've been doing this so successfully for so long, we step into it in the acceptance with you and accept anything. It was, um, there was a resonance, it was to do with Metzger and his auto-destructive stuff mm. and there was um, a series of performances I think a couple of years ago and I was in Beaconsfield um, in Vauxhall and probably had 150, 200 people sitting down on the floor in the studio upstairs and a guy with a trombone and he had a device that was basically filling the trombone with sand yeah. and great as it filled with sand it became just it destroyed the trombone it could no longer play yeah. just occasionally he'd play a note but you had 200 people listening rapt yeah. to the sound of the sand filling a trombone utterly yeah. absurd yeah. and yeah. I was I was aware of that and, and I had that tingling in my belly I was so privileged to be there taking yeah. part in this yeah, yeah. beautiful, beautiful. And that's, uh, you know, you're very much part of that in performance, that language, I think. I think what's interesting about what you say there as well is that um, I think there's something, probably in, in any medium, um, but in the case of performance about, I suppose, about establishing um, a framework and then basically one of the things that you're doing is you're kind of tuning the audience to be sensitive to particular kinds of things or particular kinds of possibilities. So, you know, some shows that we've made are incredibly minimal. I mean, basically really just text for an hour and a half or two hours. Mm -hmm. And they don't do any crazy theatrical business, no funny costumes, no music, no nothing. Really very simple. But then inside that very simple kind of parameter, what you do is you kind of tune people to really hear or mm. um, to, to understand what's possible inside this this kind of limited palette, I suppose. Um, and the same thing, I guess, with the, the trombone piece that you're talking about, that, of course, the trombone can do a million things, but actually just this kind of slow crushing of it and, and tuning to this sort of 
decay of the sound or whatever. Mm. I mean, that sounds really sort of fascinating. And in, in a way, it, 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 it's only because you sort of propose and accept a, a limit that the experience becomes possible and, mm -hmm. and that the, the richness of it becomes possible also. I think a lot, a lot of our projects, I mean, even the ones that appear sort of massively, um, oh, what's the right word? Arbitrary and sort of whimsical in terms of what they have allowed to happen. There's usually kind of counterbalancing that. There's a huge strictness. Mm. You know, we've, we've usually spent, we have usually spent five months or longer throwing things out and saying that can't be here. You know, we love that. Thing, yeah, it's your job as the artist. But, that's but you that, know, that's, like, that's that it. can't be there. Yeah. This and this and this really do belong together for reasons mm -hmm. that. It might not be uh, evident in a sort of obvious way in in the in what you see, but but you know we will have tried and tested and argued in and out those things like a million times over the previous mm. sort of five months. So it's a weird combination of uh, you know real playfulness and and really arbitrariness, like. Yeah, because that thing was lying there in the studio and somebody picked it up and started to do that with it, it becomes part of the work. Yeah. But on the other hand, like a real strictness about actually that doesn't belong or actually what we're understanding now is that this piece is revolving around these very particular sort of questions or, or dynamics and actually all of this material doesn't belong and it's going in the trash mm -hmm. it'll come back in another show exactly you know that that sort of i find that really uh interesting this sort of mix between um strictness and playfulness in in, in the world you're describing competent craftsmanship as such because you make it you don't make it look easy that'd be a silly thing to say but yeah. it's like the the guy on the monocycle going across the high wire you know he looks at it, he does it easeless but not easelessly what's the term painlessly yeah. is also the wrong word but yeah. he, he makes it look relatively easy yeah. and that's good but of course there's the years of practice that have gone into that yeah. and speaking as an artist myself I throw it's the stuff I throw away that gives the form of what's finally shown whether it's sort of yeah. whatever lots and lots goes and it's all welcome back another time to different yeah. combinations but yeah so what about the new production? What's what what's coming up? Um, yes, it's uh, it's called the Coming Storm, and um, it's one of those titles that was uh, put in place um, probably months before the the shape of the show was really clear. Okay. Um, it's always one of those one of the one of the sort of problems of the the working structure that we have is the title and an image are often demanded. Um, way before we would be naturally wanting to give either. Mm -hmm. um, but what's nice about it is it's, um, uh, it's kind of focused around uh, stories and to some extent we, we started from an idea that we might try to tell somehow one narrative, one story, which is something that we've very rarely done <coughs> once, I think. Um, but uh, true to form, we we kind of worked a month or so, maybe a bit longer in that direction, and found we were not getting anywhere. And so we, as the months went on, it became more and more uh, about 
stories that are told or half told and interrupted and cross cut with other things and um, events that take place in the performance space which aren't really anything to do with those stories getting tangled up in them and it becomes a kind of uh, rather uh, unstable and slightly chaotic kind of uh, construction mm -hmm. um, starts very very simply with a bare stage and ends with a kind of fairly large kind of wreckage or residue of all the things that have gone on in the previous hour and 40 minutes or so um, and I think what, what I like about it is that it, it, it um, it's probably one of the more um, uh, delicate and um, really unstable things that we've made for quite a long time I mean, we, we almost have two kind of compositional impulses, I think. Mm -hmm. We have the sort of, there is a world and there's a rule and there's a sort of economy to what you're doing and you basically push through that very, very strictly. Um, and then we have these sort of slightly more baroque and chaotic and... So at one level sort of slightly more whimsical or arbitrary pieces where or more poetic pieces I suppose um, and it's definitely in that category and what's interesting is that it, it very small decisions by certain performers at certain times in this piece completely change what you're looking at um, or where it's heading and the relations between them are sort of undulating in a strange way. Hard to describe in a way, but <laughs> um, what I'm liking is how uh, shape-shifting it is as, as a thing. Mm -hmm. um, feels like a little bit like a new step for us. It's a little bit of step towards some things we did maybe I don't know, 10 or 15 years ago, but there's a new sort of energy to it as well. So shape-shifting in terms of forced entertainment or within the production? Within the production, um, I mean, that, it, that it, it's a piece that kind of appears to be one thing and then really seems to be something else mm -hmm. or that the focus really seems to be this relation or dynamic and then it shifts to be something else. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's a very... Can't think of the right word. It's it's weird. I haven't talked about this piece very much because we only opened it like maybe two weeks ago. Okay. Um, in Germany, so we've done so far four performances, and I've done not many, a few interviews in Germany about it. Um, and then you know, usually what happens with projects is that having talked about them a, a few times. You get like I get the language to do it, you know. Yeah, of course, easily. Yeah, yeah. At this point, I'm still thinking, what, no. the, what the hell is that? Okay, <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, I mean, I suppose the other thing to say about it is that it's um, uh, we're we're kind we are kind of using live music in the piece, which we've never done before. Okay, it's very um, we say kind of. Well, um, <laughs> you, you see where I'm coming from there. Um, well, it, it, 
so anybody coming expecting a musical would be extremely disappointed. Uh -huh. um, but what we have is um, uh, we've used in, previously we've used a lot of you know pre-recorded music either you know on record or on CD mm. stuff that we've effectively found. Or we worked a lot with a composer, with John Avery, who did mm -hmm. music for many of our pieces over the years, including Thrill. Uh, so the incidental stuff was done by John. Um, with this piece, we had in the studio, uh, the first rehearsal studio that we had, by chance, had a piano in it. Um, we had not planned to use a piano, although we had been talking about using music. but because we were messing around on that piano, the piano then came with us to the next rehearsal studio and is in the piece. Mm -hmm. um, we have a drum kit, which is a sort of grown-up version of the small drum kit we had in Thrill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and we have a bass and a guitar. Um, but what we have is really only one person with, uh, you know, real musical kind of experience and, and competence, maybe one and a half. And then other people who have slowly been learning to do like these chords in time with this bit of music or to play this bass note on time yeah. um, or to bang out this drum pattern. Um, it's nice. And what I'm, it's really different, actually, really interesting in, in the sense that um, rather than the music being a kind of fixed object that, that we are negotiating, mm. the music is something that can arise in the process, I mean, okay. in, the, in the rehearsal room. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think it maybe even took us a couple of months to figure out, even, even in a rudimentary way, what that meant, you know, like how that really was changing what we were doing. Mm. Um, and what sort of nice... I was talking before about the way that this piece... Um, shape shifts or undulates um, it, it feels in terms of meaning or, or what's happening it's sort of any time it's almost cohering the, the, if there's a rule it's that, that it will then dissolve and the, the music uh, sort of in a way for me starts as noise I mean it, it starts with the, the sound of the crash cymbal being or the, the hi-hat being aggressively banged onto the floor and put down, or it starts with Terry sitting on the piano keys or um, repeatedly to make the bass notes kind of make this big booming sound. Um, and it becomes music, but, but uh, it's almost like the music is always just cohering. So the piano is playing for a while and then the drums will join and then the bass will join, but by the time the bass gets there, the piano will go. So it's just like... Barely um, coherent. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Nice idea. It seems like there's a sort of gentility to that, which, um, you know, some shows, I think, are very muscular and, and you know, they're driven in a particular direction, mm -hmm. a very strong line. And this piece feels more around this idea of barely cohering or, or certain kind of osmotic uh, swirling 
cohering, falling apart, cohering, falling apart. Mm-hmm. Sort of seems to be where it where it is. I th- you know, I think the way we work, it's not very programmatic. So I can't say. You know, we renounced the clarity of these previous dramatic lines. It's more like this is sort of where we ended up. Yeah, in no, this I, as, way. As, as you described yeah. at the beginning of yeah. the conversation, as it should be. Yeah. When you first, the first quite as you first answered that question about the production, you said it starts with an empty stage, and I felt the audience frisson. You know, like, yeah. oh, here we go, starting. Yeah. So it was great. Yeah. So when when d- d- tell us now when that's in London when. It is in uh, Battersea, uh, at Battersea Art Centre as part of Lyft, um, which is a great new um, partnership for us to work at Battersea. We haven't been there okay. before, and we start on the 19th, and we go through to the 23rd of June. Um, Lyft we have worked with on several different occasions over the last sort of 10 or more years. Mm-hmm. Um, but so we're kind of in partnership with with both Battersea and Lyft okay. um, for this one, and we're there now uh, through those dates in June, and then we'll be back in Battersea uh, in uh, the autumn as well. Same production, yeah, with the same piece. Excellent, yeah. And in the meantime, lots of travels with it. Yeah, we're we're next week in Zurich, then we're in London. And we have a little bit of time, and then we're in Avignon in the festival there. It's the first time we've been in Avignon. We're doing like ten days of shows. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah. And I think I think by London it will be uh, it will be solid. We 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 sort of opened in Essen and were busy working every day. You know, after the, you know before the shows, we were just in Braunschweig in Germany where we did two more and some more tightening up and fixing mm, things mm, mm. a bit more in Zurich and I reckon I reckon by London it'll be uh, pretty much pretty much there excellent yeah well, interestingly as we've been talking it's there's an interesting background noise up there which sounds kind of like um, pantomime horses being exercised but <laughs> it occurred to me as well that you could easily conceit that it's an understage recording of a forced entertainment production. We, we might be under the stage, in yeah. which case I think it's actually, it's probably DV8 working up there. It does sound like dancing. Oh, DV8, amazing. Yeah. Rehearsing up there. That's what I, because I asked the guy when we came in, I said, um, who's in the theatre? And he said, it's DV8, so probably it's them. The, probably the armed guards, if it was DV8, they are super secretive yeah. on their backstage production. We can hear it anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. It's not an exclusive interview with you, but we've got exclusive <laughs> preview. football, preview footballs of the next DV8 production. Yeah. Uh, all right, Tim, thanks very much. I think we'll switch off the button there. And I downloaded various music and sound clips and things from the deviate from forced entertainment from your website yes which is what what's the website forcedentertainment.com okay simple bit yeah. and um, mix something together it's nice I'm really looking forward to the production so right. thanks for your time thank you good to talk to you cool cool 
You have been listening to Tim Etchell's In Conversation with me, Simon Tishko, here on Isotopica. And Forced Entertainment will be bringing their UK premiere of The Coming Storm to the Battersea Arts Centre, which is June the 19th to June the 23rd. Um, Once again, I cannot recommend their productions highly enough. Thank you for listening to Isotopica. All details will be on my website, www.theculture.net. Follow the links to Resonance. Thanks for listening. A good story needs a clear beginning. It needs something strong, something dynamic to get the ball rolling. A good story needs a a strong central character, a likeable villain, or, um, or two strong central characters. It could be sisters, or or best friends, or or they could be bitter enemies. A good story needs um, needs somebody with a problem, like, I don't know, like they're looking for something. It could be looking for, for their father or somebody looking for love. A good story needs um, accidents. It needs things that get out of control. It needs a series of coincidences or um, catastrophes. A good story should grab hold of you and not let go. It just has to make you want to get to the next bit. And when you're in that bit, then you need to want to get to the bit after that. And then the next bit, and then the next bit, and then the next bit. And you should be very, very disappointed when you get to the end. Mm-hmm.